and you are listening to A Little Too Quiet, brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library, and today we have another librarian here on the podcast from the staff, Michelle Williamson. Michelle has lots of reading recommendations for you, specifically from the section that she develops here. Following the Dewey Decimal System, this would be the 600s of the nonfiction section, which covers everything from the medical sciences to health to pharmacology, to engineering. The cookbooks are in there. The books about pets are in there and just so much more. It is typically generally referred to as applied sciences, but as Michelle is going to tell you, there is such a wide variety of subjects that can be contained just within the 600s here at the Ferndale Library. She's got five brand new books to tell us about something for pet lovers, something for gardening enthusiasts. We have a new and very unique cookbook, which is also kind of a travel book. We have a history of American craft, and we have the history of smells. That's right. We're going to be talking about smells. So whether you want to learn about agriculture or you want to learn about metalworking, the 600s have you covered. Michelle Williamson, reference librarian on the Ferndale Area District Library staff, is here to join us We'll have links to the book she's recommending in the show notes. Here's our chat. Well, today's fun because you just get to talk about new books. Yeah, sexy 600s. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tell me when we... uh, We started, by the way. Tell me when uh, when I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know that when we say in the Dewey Decimal categorization of libraries and how we organize our collections, the 300s are social sciences. 500s is nature. 600s are what? Oh, there's so much. That's why I love them. So in the sort of the beginning of the 600s, you've got like mental and physical health along with advice. Uh So a lot of diet books, but also recovery, mental health, just the gamut, diseases, things like that. And then in the 630s, we kind of move into like, well, I guess I'm skipping over. We've also got the 620s, which is technology, which could be cars, but also uh, travel by vehicle. So Mm -hmm. like we also have some space travel in there. Nice. (laughs) Um, And then it's just sort of technology, but more of like the mechanical variety. The 630s are gardening, growing, things like that. That's a really popular area for our patrons here in Ferndale. And then getting into the 640s, one of my favorite parts of the 600s is the cookbooks, which is so big now we have moved it (laughs) into its own area of the library. It's its own section. It's its own thing for Mm -hmm. sure. So yeah, selecting cookbooks is a super fun part of the job. Well, you just ran down a lot. Yeah. And we are only halfway through the 600s. Okay. (laughs) I feel like this is a good point to pause and just sort of talk about cookbooks for a second because they, so many come out every year, Mm -hmm. but- we want to hold on to them because there's just so much in every book. There's such a variety of recipes available and it's going to pique someone's interest no matter what. Yeah. So, you know, I just think that's great, which led to you should give a plug to something that you created around here called the cookbook, the cookbook oh, the club, cookbook club. Yes. which I always want to say, folks, cookbook book club. But yeah, 
I'm always corrected. That was the first iteration of the name, but I kind of thought it was too wordy. But and what is that? What describe it, folks? So uh, it's something I've been kind of kicking around for a while, but it seemed like you know the pandemic seemed like a good time to introduce it. Um, some libraries have done it where you know you pick a cookbook mm-hmm. and then everyone chooses a recipe to cook from it, and then. Traditionally, people might have brought them into the library and everyone could share and enjoy, but of course that's not happening right now. So what we do is once a month, we pick a cookbook, everyone picks a recipe, Mm -hmm. and then we just Zoom Mm -hmm. and eat dinner together. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty lovely. You hosted it in uh, January last month. I did. I even set my laptop up right by my stove, which was a little dangerous because (laughs) there was some spattering of some coconut oil, but I survived and my laptop survived and everyone had a good time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got a lot of books to talk about, but I want to roll through off the top of your head. I know I'm picking your brain. What are some of the other things that we touch on in the 600s? So really, I will say the most exciting part of the 600s is like 600 through 650. Sure. And the, the latter half of the 650 to 700 is a little weird and wonky. It's more obscure. Yeah. Although you do have parenting mm-hmm. at 649 and then you start to get into business mm-hmm. in 650, 658. So that's also a really popular area, mm-hmm. business books and mm-hmm. nonprofits and things like that. Oh, is that where we would have directed folks to explain uh, GameStop and stuff like that? Well, <laughs> actually, that might have been the 300s because okay. economics is in the 300s. But oh yeah, it's it, we share a lot of uh, subjects. Andrea, who I think you've talked to mm-hmm. before on here, mm-hmm. we kind of have this conversation sometimes of, of where things should go because sometimes you can put them in multiple places. Yeah. So, What is the first book you want to talk about today? Okay, so the first one I want to talk about is called Craft and American History by Glenn Adamson. What kind of craft? Craft. Oh my gosh, this is just an exhaustive book. So in the introduction, uh, he's a historian and curator, Mm -hmm. and he explains that his ambition with this book is to be the first historical overview of craft in America. Okay. And boy, is it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about woodworking? Are we talking about building houses? uh, We're talking about anything and everything everything that Americans have ever made with their hands. Excellent. It is incredible. And it's less uh, a, a look at the the how to the techniques as it is a chronicle of this country through the lens of craft. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so how what we have made has made us who we are. Mm-hmm. And he manages to look at making, it sort of begins with the colonial times and it follows makers all the way through to the current maker movement and the craftivists. If you think about the pink hats back in 2017, why we've made things, what we're trying to say by making things, uh, that type of thing. But it's not like a feel good book. It really is a look at how craft has shaped this country. And it's really, um, you know, when we think of ourselves as being self-sufficient, mm-hmm. a lot of that comes from the fact that we were building houses and, right. you know, making everything that we needed. Mm-hmm. But also it's it's kind of had a, a dark history mm-hmm. at some sometimes as well. Yeah, um, because who, if we were going to build a house, who were we moving out of that space to get into that space and right. take it over? So Yeah, one mm-hmm. One story in the book that I liked was about James Pennington, Mm -hmm. and he, in 1822, made himself a pen of steel. Then he went out to find the perfect chicken feather to complete the quill for the pen. (laughs) Uh, He smashed berries for ink, 
and then he surreptitiously taught himself to write. Wow. Uh, it was illegal because he was an enslaved black man. Wow. Um, he eventually escaped and became the first African-American man to attend Yale. And eventually he wrote a memoir in the first history of black folks in America. All because he made that pen. All because he made the pen. Oh, so that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's. But also harrowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like it isn't a feel. I mean, one thing I appreciate is it does focus on women, mm -hmm. minorities, people who have had to really struggle, and sort of some of the ingenious ways that they have uh, made things and then made their way in the world. But mm -hmm. it's not at all heavy. There's a great story about a woman who makes the first poodle skirt mm -hmm. um, because it was just easy to do the whole piece of fabric and mm -hmm. then stitch that on, and how it ended up becoming sort of a phenomenon in the 50s. So it's fascinating. It's educational. Uh, Adamson really knows his stuff. Does this book have a subtitle? Just an, uh, an American history. Oh, I would have called it. <laughs> I would have called it a uh, dynamic history of inanimate objects. Yeah. Is it too late? Too late to figure that? People but, always right? love to have a very long right subtitle, <laughs> so I'm sure. <laughs> but, you know, it makes you think today, too, like, why do people still make things, right. especially since the time it takes to make things? It's it's sort of counterintuitive to capitalism. Mm -hmm. And I think it's especially a good time to be reading this because we are, I think, rethinking our time, mm -hmm. what time means to us, mm -hmm. how we want to spend it. Sure. And um, perhaps we want to subvert capitalism by making things yeah. rather than buying them. Or perhaps, you know, as we see like at the Rust Belt market, people can turn craft into a business exactly. that supports them. So it's yeah. a really fascinating idea to sort of zoom back on at a macro right. level. And this this does this while still giving you lots of great stories and that's details. Great. So that's awesome first pick. What's the next one? Yeah. So the next one. Red Sands. Okay. You'll appreciate the subtitle of this one. Reportage and Recipes Through Central Asia from Hinterland to Heartland. Oh, no. That is <laughs> yeah. nicely embellished, but right. also awesome. So uh, this is Caroline Eden. Okay. She's not very well known, but... Why does that name sound familiar, though? So mm. we have uh, her previous book, called Black Sea, mm -hmm. which was focused on the food and communities of the Black Sea coastline. And that one won a mess of awards. Mm -hmm. It won the Art of Eating Prize, Best Travel and Food Book of the Year. And that really kind of sums her up. She's not a straightforward, this is in the cookbook section. It's really more of a travelogue with recipes. Mm -hmm. So the thing Again, that, it sounds like there's history there. Absolutely. And so the area that she's focusing on here is Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan. Okay. And I think for most people, myself included, when you're hearing about these areas, you're thinking of like Borat. Right, right. <laughs> we don't know no. a lot seriously about no. this area. Our, our, our perception of uh, that sort of, sort of Russian area, once we get to the southwest little corner of it, gets a little hazy. Yeah, yeah. So this A is a gorgeous book. Yeah. Uh, it's just beautiful. And she really just embeds herself in the culture. She interviews a lot of people. The name Red Sands, the title, comes from the Kizil Kum Desert, which straddles Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. So this is a really lovely deep dive into that, an area that we don't really hear too much about, um, seriously at least. It's, it's a, a dense read but if you're thinking you know i'm just sick of looking at my four walls i want to learn something new or learn about a new area this is a great one for that 
There was a story in here where she talks about kurut, which is a, um, they're fermented milk curds. Fermented milk curds. Yes. I'm sorry, dried uh, milk curds. And this is something that Kazakh soldiers have carried with them in battle before. So a lot they were talking about um, how people would, you know, soldiers would get caught without food because they're just riding and riding and they don't have a lot of food. So they would take these curds and then they would put them in a bottle, add a little water, and as they rode their horses, it would churn it. And then Ah. it would make it into food for them. So they always, they would take like pounds of these curds and then they would always have them as they were riding. Practical protein shake. Yeah. So, and that's the the recipes in this too are very practical. Um, You know, you might think, I don't know what I would want to make from there, but I haven't made anything yet, but I wrote down a couple of recipes. There was a meatball of ash and chickpea soup that I thought looked delicious. Nice. And uh, lagman, which is egg noodles with lamb, napa cabbage, and peppers. So I feel like these are not really exotic ingredients. There's things that we could try out and a lot of them seemed hearty. Nice. and things like that we could eat right now. She also had some just great stories, great interviews. I, I enjoyed one about these cosmonaut hotels. Mm-hmm. So apparently Yuri Gagarin, I think I'm saying the name right, but and uh, Valentina Tereshkova, mm-hmm. who was the first woman in space, the youngest woman in space, and still the only woman who has done a solo mission in space. She wow. orbited Earth 48 times. That this was the hotel that they would stay at after they came back from space. Uh-huh. And so it's still kind of their claim <laughs> to fame is that the cosmonauts stayed here. So, yeah, just all sorts of really cool, you know, areas, things, lots of stuff to be proud of. Mm-hmm. If you love travel writing mm-hmm. and food, this is an excellent pick. We are the only ones in TLN who have this book, too. That's so awesome. if you like this, too, I think that... Uh, Black Sea is also a great pick. She's just very thorough, very in-depth, and obviously has a passion for these areas. We always make we always make fun of lightheartedly the kind of over overzealous, oversharing food blogger who tells a little story about every dish that yes. they want to share. And it's <laughs> this sounds like refreshingly entertaining and insightful anecdotes. Mm-hmm. This is like a counter to that. This yeah. is substantive stories yeah. around your dishes. That's great. Yeah. What's your other book? Okay. So let's see what we have. Oh, boy. See, some of these are just, if you really want to sit with the book for a while, I've (laughs) I've got the (laughs) list here. So the next one is called Nosedive, A Field Guide to the World's Smells by Harold (laughs) McGee. Um, And I have to say, if there were a textbook for smells, this would be it. I can already imagine the plethora of adjectives that are in this book. Oh, my goodness. In fact, I think uh, our colleague Kelly, who I think she took an online cooking course uh-huh. in his previous book on food and cooking, The Science and the Lore of the Kitchen, mm-hmm. I think she said was assigned reading for this cooking That's course awesome. that she did. So, um, I can already assure everyone, having not opened this book, <laughs> that the word pungent does appear in it. I can already, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so I, I want to just read a little bit from the introduction because I feel like his writing is also excellent and, sure. a, and a great way to set up what this book is about. So he says, many fine books have been written about our sense of smell on the pleasing aromas of food and drink and perfumes on the nature of disgust. Here I've put together something different, a guide to the world of smells, nice and not, and the airborne molecular specks that stimulate them. 
Since the specks are representative bits from throughout the material cosmos, I like to call this wide world the Osmocosm. From Osme, the ancient Greek for smell or odor, with its inner resonance and hint of wizardly magic. Wow. So, I mean, this is another deep dive. He goes into the, the uh, a lot of the charts that are in here will be, like what I'm looking at right now says fruit, it's pear, the component smells are sweet, ripe apple, pear, and floral. And then he goes and breaks down the molecules. So he just, Whoa. and there's everything. There's... Um, there's what smells in water, uh, smells on land, soil, stone. Wow. Um, the human animal, plant volatile families, edible greens and herbs. I mean, if you really like to get molecular, this is literally the book for you wow. <laughs> because he has really done his homework on this. And I, even if it's not something you read from beginning to end, it's a fascinating book just to kind of peruse and think about the smells yeah we don't have a lot of them right now yeah for sure it is i almost feel like if you are even slightly interested in being a wine sommelier or Uh a coffee barista this will give you plenty of adjectives to to describe right and like how smells get here and just to appreciate all of the smells yeah yeah that that there are (laughs) another alternate head uh, subhead for this book could have been this book does not stink (laughs) Um, But, you know, I'm not hired yet for (laughs) subtitle writing. So that was called Nosedive. Yeah, A Field Guide to the World Smells by Harold McGee. McGee, great. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, and my my next two are a little bit lighter, a little bit more fun. I don't want to hit you with all the doorstopper uh, textbooks today. (laughs) So I know that you and I are both cat people. Of course. So I did a, a cat's tail. That's great. A Journey Through Feline History by Baba the Cat. There is Baba on the cover wearing a cat <laughs> hat and looking very zen-like. We'll yes. put a photo on the website in our show notes. It's irresistible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as told to Paul Kudineris. As uh, in the cat is talking? Yes. Oh, wow. The cat narrates, I will just say if you like cats and costumes, this book is worth it for that alone. There is a fantastic plethora of cats it is immersive with fake mustaches and fezzes and turbans and um it is hilarious but also very informative (laughs) (laughs) so it doesn't sound like this book is inherently facetious it sounds it's not like a a joke cute book it it's uh no okay except that it is narrated by a cat (laughs) okay it it is all right so um so it's lighthearted. it's funny but it is informative and it is rooted in Aside from Baba's opinions, which there are actually many of those too, it is rooted in fact. Um, and it goes from the partnership between cats uh, and humans, how it predates currency. It's older than uh, written language. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've always had this partnership from the Neolithic times of when uh, humans became agricultural and used cats to get rid of vermin. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, cats got food and shelter. So, again, some fun stories in here. One about how, under Roman rule, an enraged Cairo mob reportedly dragged a centurion to death in the streets after his chariot ran over a cat. Oh, boy. (laughs) And um, one that I thought was really interesting was about Clementine Jones, Mm -hmm. who was a cat, a house cat in the 1950s uh, in New York. And 
Clementine lived with the Lundmarks. Mm-hmm. Mr. Lundmark got a job in Colorado Springs, um, but alas, Clementine was pregnant. Oh no! So they gave her to family uh, near Buffalo mm-hmm. uh, to you know care for. So Clementine had her cat, her kittens. They grow to about a year old, and then. Clementine disappears and the family looks for her and says, oh, no, they fear the worst has happened. They contact the family in Colorado and say, we're so sorry. We think, you know, Clementine is gone permanently. And then, of course, um, she turns up on the Lundmark's porch in Colorado Springs, making the 1600 mile trek from New York to Colorado. Now, I was very skeptical. So the only I I remember my sister-in-law, my sister, my brother and sister-in-law have a lot of cats, mm-hmm. and there was one that just didn't get along with the others. And my sister-in-law works uh, on a farm in Jackson, so she had taken this cat like five miles away to this farm mm-hmm. to say, "Okay, this is your new home. You're not getting along with the other cats." And that cat made it back to their house, and mm-hmm. I was amazed at five wow. miles because I thought, "How do they mm-hmm. do that?" Mm-hmm. And I was skeptical to read this as well, so I did actually look it up to see like what, and like there, a librarian, right? There were some articles. Um, online and the way that they determined it was indeed uh clementine was that she had seven toes on one paw and also the pads of her paws were almost worn away entirely by wow. the walk and so i cannot believe it <laughs> um what's the title of this book again a cat's tale a journey through feline history and oh it... pets also 636 mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and it's narrated by a cat yes and i have to imagine that there's some sass Definitely some sass. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This is this book is like an exquisite educational 300 page meme. Let let me read some of of Baba's writings for you just so you can get a little taste of it. So this is from the chapter Triumph and Tragedy in Europe, the Rise and Fall of the Feline Empire. Wow. (laughs) We were seen as a living miracle when the first ships carrying us arrived. This was some seven or eight centuries before the common era, and the Greeks were still a crude people who knew only of rough-and-tumble wildcats. The domestic variety appeared to them as wondrous. They were entranced by the softness of our fur and amazed by our gentle personalities. Why, we were amenable to the touch and even, well, depending, allowed humans to hold us in their arms. But they are so much more than novelties, the traders exulted, for these cats are also useful. They explained how we were far superior to the mousers the Greeks had previously relied on. Oh, sure, weasels and martens could kill vermin, but they were wild creatures, indiscriminate hunters who might eat your chickens, too. Cat's tail. Baba's got a future, I think, in writing. (laughs) Yeah. What is the last book in a bunch? So the last one is also just kind of an easy one. I know a lot of people are having a hard time reading right now. I can have that too. And sometimes you just want to look at something, you know, a lot of us are spending time online. Mm -hmm. This is a good book if you're just like, I don't think I can read a book right now, but maybe I want to think ahead to the summer to growing. So this is the comic book guide to growing food. Oh, it's like a graphic novel. It's a graphic novel. Awesome. But if you're thinking, I want to start a garden, but I don't know what to do. And um, so this is actually the story of Mia, who is a young tech professional Mm -hmm. who wants to learn how to grow vegetables. And she's got a retired neighbor, George, who initially is like having trouble sending his grandkids a picture. So she helps him. And then she notices he's got this beautiful garden. And then he agrees to help her grow food at her house. Oh, nice. So it really is a how-to. The pictures are beautiful 
but it's also extremely yeah. informative about talking about, uh, let's see, it's got deciding on location, what to grow, when to do what, soil testing and fertilizing, preparing the space, getting plants, planting, maintaining. There's even, I know a lot of people around here like to do raised beds because of soil, and yeah. there is a really great how-to oh, nice. for building a raised bed in here so if you have never gardened before and you want to get started they recommend plants for new gardeners and it's just kind of a fun even if you don't do a garden and mm -hmm. you don't have the effort it just i enjoyed looking at pictures of vegetables that's for a great while. And the, it, the pictures <laughs> do look great but it's yeah. also very informative as you said there's calendars in there there's timetables there's diagrams all this stuff to get you started mm -hmm. that's awesome what was it called again the comic book guide to growing food by wow. Joseph Tykonevich mm -hmm. and Liz Anna Kozik. So we had gardens. Yes. Cats. Yes. Smells. <laughs> stories along. The Kaiselkum Desert. Wow. Yes. And we had American Craft. What was the first book? Let's re refresh ourselves. Craft and American History. What a range of topics. What a range of ideas going on in just five books. Yes. From the 600s. Yes. It's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, I always thought that generically, didn't they? Didn't they used to say six hundreds was like applied sciences? What was is that? Is <laughs> I that could what they used see to call that. It? I could because of cars and what have you cooking and cooking. And, yeah, but cats fit in there. Yeah, cats. Yeah, it's uh, pets are also in there. Our our section is probably not as big as the the youth area, but we have lots of books on dogs too. That's excellent. <laughs> Well, we'll have links to all of those books so you can find them in the catalog. Thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. Oh, my pleasure, Jeff. And that was Michelle Williamson, reference librarian, who develops the collection of nonfiction titles that fit into the six hundredths of the Dewey Decimal System. So that is everything from cats to cooking to the History of Smells, such a unique variety of books that she is adding to our collection on a weekly basis. There's always new books here. We'll have links to the catalog records of all those books in case you want to put a hold on any of them. And I know that I'm particularly interested in reading some of them myself, especially A Cat's Tale. My name is Jeff Milo. I'm the host and producer of this podcast, which is called A Little Too Quiet, and it is made possible by the friends of the Ferndale Library. You can rate, review, subscribe, or just tell a friend about this show. You can also visit ferndalefriends.org for more information on how to support. The music that brings us in and out of this podcast is by local musician Chad Stocker, and we appreciate you listening. Mm -hmm.